0: Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your tone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Oh, Thank you so much, Michelle. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's uh, Cancer Care workshop. Um, and today's workshop is a collaborative effort or partnership with a uh, Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, so it's a joint effort today, Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network and Cancer Care, um, and um, we're delighted to be partnering with them on this program. And we partner with them on pretty much every program we do um, related to bladder cancer. Um, and today's program is for caregivers, practical tips to cope with your loved one's bladder cancer, and it's part two of living with bladder cancer. Today's program is supported by Bristol Myers Squibb, estelus U.S., LLC, and CGAN, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. I really want to thank them for their support of this series and also for their support of a number of other programs that we offer as well. Now, um, before I introduce our first speaker, I have just a few questions I'd like to ask each of you on the call today. Um, it helps us to understand um, in planning future programs to understand what you know ab- ab- about this pro- about bladder can- uh, caregiving and for someone with bladder cancer before the program begins. So I'm going to start with the first question. Um, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the important role of the, of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team about a loved one's living with bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating, and five the lowest rating. And the next question is. I understand the role of a caregiver in helping to manage a loved one's bladder cancer treatment, including adherence and follow-up care. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know how to manage family, partners, friends, and traditions in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. The next question is, I know self-care and stress management tips for coping with the stresses of caring for a loved one living with bladder cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand the important role of long-distance caregivers for loved one living with bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps us um, to really better plan programs um, to know what your needs are um, as the program begins. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Robert Svatek. And Dr. Svatek is Professor, Acting Chair, Department of Urology, Mays Cancer Center at UT Health San Antonio, MD Anderson. And Dr. Svatek will be addressing updates on bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19, the important role of the caregiver in communicating with your healthcare team, helping to manage your loved one's treatment, including adherence and follow-up care, open notes, the importance of follow-up with your health care team to understand open notes, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology and prepared list of questions. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. I
2: Thank you for that kind introduction. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I want to first start with this discussion by just going over a little bit of an overview of bladder cancer, kind of to help us all get connected, because we're all coming at this from different angles. Um, you or someone you know may be a loved one uh, was diagnosed with bladder cancer, and um, it's important for us to kind of uh, think about why that might have happened. Some, some of my, One of my most common questions I get from patients are, why me? You know, I've lived a healthy life, I've done everything right, why me? Um, and, and a lot of times I don't have a good answer for them. Um, we do know there certainly are some environmental exposures, for example, tobacco use, that is strongly associated with development of bladder cancer and lung cancer. But there are many patients um, out there that we don't have a uh, an exposure that we can link uh, to explain. Um, We do know that males are more often affected than females, and maybe that's due to um, testosterone, and maybe it's due to the the receptor that's binding testosterone that's actually present in the bladder. That's not completely um, well understood. It's an interesting phenomenon that we see a three-to-one ratio of male to female that's not accounted for by a difference in tobacco use. The other thing that's very clear is that this is a disease of um, individuals in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. It is very unusual for younger people, let's say less than 40, to get bladder cancer. It happens, but it's very unusual. It's largely affecting those in their mid-60s and 70s. Now, the most common way that patients present with bladder cancer is the same for all types of bladder cancer, and that is with blood in the urine, often blood that's not associated with any other symptoms like burning or pain. And painless blood in the urine, what we call hematuria, is classic for uh, presentation for bladder cancer. And that evaluation is typically done uh, with a cystoscopy, which is an examination of the bladder in clinics, Um, to evaluate the bladder to see if there's a tumor in there that's causing the bleed. Now, we've all had a um, a very unusual, uh, an unprecedented year uh, with the pandemic, and I want to address how bladder cancer has affected us in the context of the pandemic. We can start out with two very important observations. Number one, COVID-19 disproportionately affects the elderly, as does bladder cancer. The implications of that are that elderly patients who are more vulnerable to getting morbid uh, complications from COVID, who are more vulnerable to getting ICU admission and uh, uh, suffering um, from COVID, are also at higher risk for developing bladder cancer. The other observation is that in people that are, uh, let's say, immunosuppressed or their immune system is not functioning as well because they're undergoing treatment for cancer or they've got advanced cancer, they are going to be at particularly higher risk of developing complications from COVID. And so <clears throat> it is critical, and, and we'll probably reemphasize this throughout the talk today, that, 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 love, uh, that um, those that are diagnosed with bladder cancer um, obtain vaccine for COVID and their loved ones, their caregivers should also uh, get the vaccine to whatever extent is possible where you're at. The um, it, Being in contact with the, the loved one that has bladder cancer um, means that they're dependent on you um, for various aspects of their care and <clears throat> anyone that they come into contact with is a potential source of transmission. So even though the the guidelines and the restrictions have been somewhat decreased, we have to be uh, impor- uh, careful about our patients with cancer. Um, and so I I will recommend that we continue to wear masks, um, certainly in public and in, and as often as you can in in public uh, places. And I encourage you to use um, the other uh means to help prevent so into avoiding um tight enclosed uh, places using hand washing avoiding shaking of hands um these things are important for our cancer patients um because one thing is that we all agree upon is that we don't know how long our vaccine immunity will last with with the one vaccine that we got we don't know yet whether we'll need a booster we don't know yet whether these mutated viruses will be a threat to us, um, and how much of a threat they'll be. So, in this uncertainty, um, we we still need to be careful. Now, I I, I want to just temper that with, um, I think that we've all benefited maybe maybe you know mentally or emotionally from the from the changes that have taken place and the great. Um, uh, ability of science to provide this vaccine and, and restrictions have been lifted, and I think we've all kind of felt a little bit of an emotional um, improvement with the changes. And so, mental health and your emotional health is also very important. So it's not to say that um, you need to stay at home and you can't go out and you can't enjoy yourself, but but we've got to be careful now. I want to talk about adherence to care and how you as a a caregiver can help your loved one um, with bladder cancer. Bladder cancer comes in different stages. And I think um, one of the most important things as a caregiver is to kind of understand just a little bit about what stage the loved one has. And two big distinctions are whether it's localized to the bladder or whether it's spread to other locations of the body. We call that metastasize, um, and so the the management for patients that have localized bladder cancer is is often different than that for those that have metastasis or cancer that has spread to other places. Bladder cancer tends to spread to the lungs, to the liver, and the lymph nodes. We could say the three L's, um, but their management is sometimes uniquely different than those where it's confined to the bladder. Of the people that have bladder cancer that is localized, meaning it has not spread, there's also two big divisions, and those are people, persons, patients with non-muscle invasive bladder cancer and muscle invasive bladder cancer, very two different types of diseases. Um, In most cases of muscle invasive bladder cancer, we will recommend bladder removal or cystectomy, or radiation therapy as a, uh, uh, a treatment strategy, whereas those with non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, most of those are recommended to undergo some form of treatment with bladder preservation. And so knowing which category, one of those three, non-muscle invasive or muscle invasive but not metastatic or metastatic, one of those three categories will be helpful in in in, uh, in knowing the treatment paradigm for your loved one. Bladder cancer has a really high recurrence rate. What does that mean? It means that even after we remove the tumor from the bladder surgically, which we can do uh, endoscopically through a small camera, um, it has a, a, a high chance of coming back. I often quote my patients like a 60% chance just uh, um, for all you know all comers and it certainly depends on the type of tumor and the stage and the grade all those things can be factored in to give a more a, a better estimate but it, it bottom line is that it has a high recurrence rate and <clears throat> because of that we do surveillance with cystoscopy in the clinic every 3 months um often or you know for many patients um to to try to identify the tumor as soon as possible. Depending on the stage of the disease, it might not be three months. It may be uh, less frequent. But what I want to get at is that the surveillance cystoscopies that your doctor may recommend, very important. It's a uh, very, very safe procedure. It's uncomfortable, yes, but it's critical because we're able to identify the tumors early before they progress or before they become uh, more advanced. So, if anything that I could communicate is to say, let's help each other to make sure we make those follow-up appointments. Um, especially um, in, in people that have already been diagnosed, we want to make sure that they keep those surveillance appointments. How is the world changing now with with the pandemic, and how, have, how has the management of bladder cancer uh, changed with the pandemic? Well, telehealth and telemedicine are used more frequently, and you may be visiting with your doctors through telehealth and telemedicine. And it is very helpful in certain situations. But in other situations, it it doesn't um, suffuse the need for cystoscopy, for example. So when might a telehealth visit be appropriate, and when might it not? One of the best uses is that very first consultation, where, um, let's say, you, uh, you know, you're not sure what, what you're presenting with some symptoms and you're not sure uh, what the evaluation should be. So an initial complaint uh, may be an opportunity where you could conduct a telemedicine visit because you can often get a telemedicine visit conducted quickly. And maybe you can do that within a week, whereas to wait on an in-person visit may take longer. So that might be a good opportunity. On the other hand, if you need, if the doctor needs to look into the bladder or needs to conduct a physical exam, well, then a telemedicine visit may not be adequate. The other time that I've used telehealth and telemedicine is in my immediate visit after a biopsy. So, for example, a patient has a bladder tumor, we remove it surgically, and I want to go over the results of, uh, of the biopsy with the patient about seven to ten days later maybe 14 days later, whenever the biopsy results are, are ready. It takes about that long for the pathologist to, to examine the tissue and, and provide a diagnosis. But anyway, at, at around, let's say, anywhere between one to two weeks after that biopsy, I want to go over the results with the patient. And often I can do that through a telehealth visit because it's largely not a physical exam-based visit. I don't need to look right into the bladder because I just did that. So I'm just going over the pathology results and then discussing the next treatment option. So that's another good opportunity to use telemedicine. And you can ask your doctor if that's available. Now, my father is in his late 70s, and he is very reluctant to learn how to use the computer. Um, But I've worked with him because it's so important and so helpful nowadays to be able to communicate with your team through an electronic medical system most of us are now moving toward uh, systems that enable the patient to interact closer to us. They can view their results immediately in some cases. They can view um, my notes in many cases. Um, And so one of the kind of things I want to encourage you to do is to maybe help your loved ones to, um, to learn the system. And I know that it's not easy and sometimes it's not possible. But to learn the system so that we can communicate um, effectively and deliver health care more efficiently uh and more accurately too, so uh, and 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 by the way the the clinics they they often will have people that can sit down and work with you, so you shouldn't feel that this is something you got to tackle on your own. Just ask for help. Finally, I want to talk just for a moment about what's new. um There's been a lot of research conducted on the COVID vaccine and um, new vaccines, but that doesn't mean that we've stopped doing research on bladder cancer. And, in fact, I I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time for uh, treatment strategies uh, in bladder cancer. Over the last decade, we've seen approval of multiple new immune therapies for bladder cancer. And it's been so exciting to see this in my career um, when I first started, uh, which wasn't that long ago, I mean, we we had very few options for uh, really advanced cases. Now we have multiple options, and it's almost moving into a more of a chronic disease in many cases that 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 we can manage with um, different regimens and convert to second line or third line regimens. Um, we are expecting approval of new drugs, almost you know, every few months or, or annually for sure. And there's so many exciting new things being developed right now. Um, so I am hopeful that we are moving toward a state where the the tumor is going to be characterized very uh, comprehensively such that we can direct and target that particular tumor and that particular patient's tumor uh, more selectively, which will do two things. It will – allow us to um, provide the best available drug um, for that particular tumor and decrease side effects and, and toxicity profiles uh, at the same time and then en- enable us to use secondary or alternative medicine that's a second-line or third-line treatment um, after, after, you know, if, if in the case that would be the first line was not successful. So it is a very dynamic changing rapidly changing um landscape for bladder cancer, but I'm optimistic about the future um, and I'll, I'll turn it over now uh to the next speaker. Thank you very much
1: oh thank you very much Dr. Saek. That was really outstanding and a wonderful presentation and really set the tone for today's program and i think I know there'll be questions for you during the q and a and very uh, very inspiring Thank you so much and um and actually, you know, I just wanted to mention to all of you that there's a lot of you on the call today. I Um, We have over 154 participants on the call today. You come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have had international participants from Canada, Iraq, and the United Kingdom, so a bit of a global call as well. So just, although you can't all see each other, just to have a sense that there's lots of you on the call today. And now our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center nursing department. National Institutes of Health Clinical Research Center. And Ms. Lynn will be addressing stresses, challenges, and rewards of caregiving, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions in the context of COVID-19, coping with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions, the long-distance caregiver, and remembering to take care of yourself, self-care, and stress management tips. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Lynn.
3: Great, thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on today's educational workshop. And thank you to Dr. Satek, for setting um, the tone for today and answering um, many questions um, that we may have been thinking about coming into this session. And so I'd like to take this opportunity to also warmly welcome all of our participants on the call. Whether you're a person living with bladder cancer or a caregiver of someone with cancer, you recognize the important role that caregivers play in your loved one's cancer management. And I applaud you for finding out more information on this important topic and so I'm going to start with the stresses challenges and rewards of caregiving Um, we know that caregiving can be stressful whether you are caregiving for um, uh, a baby or you're caregiving for someone um, that has um, you know chronic condition or someone that has cancer Um, and so we've done a lot of research looking at caregivers you know, through all walks of life, and one out of five caregivers reports feeling alone. Um, caregivers also feel um, and report high levels of emotional stress and physical strain, and so our work has been to help um, to help them not feel alone. Um, People that are caregivers um, that describe feeling alone um, also describe that um, they have more difficulty taking care of their own healthcare needs um, and feel that their health um, may be declining as a result of caregiving. And so I want to point out that there's organizations like Cancer Care and like the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network um, that are offering support services for people with cancer and their caregivers. Um, and we're going to talk more about those organizations in detail. Um, and at the end of this call, when we take open it up for questions, I'd love to hear any tips that you have that we didn't cover during this session. So the first thing is you're not alone. Um, there are support groups specifically for caregivers and for people that, are, that have cancer and are fighting cancer. We want to encourage you to take care of your own health so that you can be a, Strong enough to take care of your loved one. And that means accepting offers of help and having specific suggestions for people so that they can help you. We're also going to talk about today how to communicate effectively with your medical team. Um, And that starts by writing down your questions and concerns that you have before your appointment and to bring that list with you. And whether that's an in-person appointment or whether that's a telehealth appointment, having those questions ready can help you organize your thoughts um, so that if there's a particular concern or issue that you have, you can get that addressed. Um, We encourage everyone, um, caregivers and cancer patients, to keep a list of all of their medications Um, and have those in a handy place. Um, Your medications include not only all of your prescription medications, but any over-the-counter medications that you may take, any vitamins or nutritional supplements. And during your appointment, Um, You have your list of questions. Um, We encourage you to take notes, but also to ask follow-up questions. If there's a question that you have and you've discussed it with the healthcare team and you're still struggling um, to find an answer for that, ask that question again have them explain um, that uh, particular question or answer in a different way um, I know that sometimes when I have to talk about really complicated medical um, procedures like a bone marrow transplant or a certain um, type of surgery drawing a picture helps um, and while I'm not a great artist it's a way to start that process um, and ask questions and make sure that everybody involved in the discussion knows what we're talking about. And before you leave your appointment, um, make sure you know what the plan is. Repeat that plan back to the provider. Um, are you going to need blood work before you start your next treatment? When is your next um, test or appointment? Make sure that you have all of that written down so that you don't have any lingering questions um, once you either um, walk out of that office or end that tele, um, appointment. Now, if you still have lingering questions, not to worry. Sometimes an hour later, I think of a question that I should have um, Asked during an appointment, know how to contact your provider. Um, is that through um, email or through leaving a message with their nurse? Um, what are the best ways to contact them for those um, questions? And so, once you leave that medical appointment, um, we want to make sure that you are um, adhering to the treatment. And so. Um, there might be um, ways to help you with that. There are new technologies that can help with medication reminders. Um, As Dr. Svavek talked about, um, bladder cancer affects a little bit older population than some of the other cancers where it would be someone diagnosed um, in their 20s. And so falls might be a particular risk. So if you're a caregiver Um, Look around your house. Are there potential areas where there might be a fall um, with scatter rugs or um, something um, blocking the way going to a restroom or up the stairs? And um, next, um, um, I'm going to talk about coping each day, um, special occasions, anniversaries. As we know, with the reality of COVID-19, that every single one of us celebrated a birthday or an anniversary or an important milestone during the pandemic. Um, And it doesn't mean that we didn't celebrate. We probably just celebrated in a way that we weren't used to. Um, And so I want to encourage you to continue to celebrate. Um, And that might um, right now be we, we don't want to have large gatherings. Um, While the United States is beginning to open up, we're not completely open up. Um, As Dr. Savak said, continue to wear your mask, continue to um, monitor yourself for fevers, for symptoms of COVID-19, but also to have some fun um, and think about creative ways to celebrate these different occasions and so we we've all had to adapt um probably to more video calls or more phone calls um and this is still a great way to celebrate milestones like birthdays and anniversaries with loved ones um, so don't um, count those out. We can also maybe limiting the number of people getting together for a small. Um, gathering Hopefully outside as it's becoming summer here in the United States, that's a perfect time to have a few people over um, outside to celebrate um, that milestone. If you have some tech savvy um, people in your family, have them create a digital photo album uh, to share with uh, family members. I know during multiple times during the pandemic when I felt alone and had to do a video call with some of my distant relatives, um, we would pull out um, old photo albums, share them with each other. We'd pull out art projects that we made, um, either my children made or my mom had um, a ceramic uh, bobble that I made when I was in elementary school. These are, these are fun ways to, to laugh, share stories, um, and catch up with each other. Um, And speaking of family stories, that's a great way um, to share and reconnect with family members who may have passed during the pandemic, um, and also to create new family members. For video calls, we had to get creative um, over the pandemic. um, And with my family, we're we're spread out (laughs) over the United States and Canada And so as a way um, to kind of have a theme, we would come up with the top three, and then we would share them with each other. So we would say, what were your top three vacation spots that you would like to go to or your top three songs? And it was a great way for members of all generations to get together and um, have a distraction um, during the pandemic, during times of high anxiety. And so, um, I want to remind everyone that there's no right way to celebrate. We do have to continue to be creative and modify, um, celebrations, uh, to incorporate everyone. And one of those ways is to start with your loved one that you're taking care of. Um, ask them what they would like to do. Um, remember that this is a unique experience, um, to them, um, as well to you. And that without their input, maybe too many phone calls or activities might seem overwhelming. Um, so talk to them about how they would like to celebrate um, a particular milestone or holiday or or birthday. Um, what is important to them. Is it uh, the people on the phone call? Um, Is it um, having quality time, even if it's only five minutes with someone, um, versus an all-day celebration? That is a great way to start. Um, And then communicate um, what your loved one's feelings are to the rest of the family so that they don't feel that um, the loved one was only on for ten minutes gosh, did I do something wrong? Um, when in reality ten minutes was about all they could um handle at that point in time, maybe during their chemotherapy treatment or maybe this um they were having a bad day, ha- remind the rest of the family that um this is this is um how they would like to celebrate and what they can do at this point. Um and there's other technologies, including email, social media sites, websites, um, lots of other ways to communicate um, either treatment updates or um, important um, milestones. Um, and I want to encourage all of our caregivers out there not to feel guilty for receiving help. Um, sometimes, oh well, I just, I just, I, I feel guilty receiving help. Things aren't that bad. Um, we don't have to wait for things to be really horrible in order to um, ask and receive help. Think about all the different times that you have given help to um, family members, to friends, to help them through a tough time that, that didn't have to be horrible, was maybe a, you know just a bump in the road and they really needed your assistance. Think of that when you're asking for help, that your friends and family want to help you. For me, I faced a serious health crisis a couple years ago, and it was very helpful for me to have one of my very best friends be the spokesperson uh, to communicate updates to friends and family members. Um, My husband was overwhelmed um, with the responsibility of me during this crisis, and so he was happy to turn Um, that component over to my dear friend, and um, it worked out perfectly, And which is why I encourage others to do that, to take that pressure off yourself. Um, One thing that you can also do is try and stay positive and find inspiration. Being a cancer fighter, survivor, and caregiver are tough jobs, and helping um, stay in a positive mind can make a big difference. Um, And so we're going to talk about later um, some ways to find inspiration um, when things get tough. But first I'm going to just touch upon long-distance caregiving. Um, Long-distance caregivers are anyone, anywhere who are not living with the person receiving care. And so long-distance caregivers can take on lots of important roles and provide relief for that local caregiver. Um, some of the jobs long-distance caregivers can do um, with, with your permission is they can help um, manage the finances, um, such as bill paying. Um, they can help with the coordination of insurance um, bills. So if you are overwhelmed by the number of letters that are coming in for co-pays and appointments and keeping track of those, Um, it might be a good time to tap into a long-distance caregiver to help um, keep track of those um, and keep those payments on time. Long-distance caregivers can arrange for in-home care by hiring a professional caregiver um, to provide you respite care or rest when you um, as a caregiver need it because we do need to take breaks as caregivers. Um, Long-distance caregivers can help coordinate medical equipment. So if you need a bed um, or some other piece of adaptive equipment, um, they can help with that. Um, Long-distance caregivers can provide emotional support um, and be that listening ear when you or your loved one are having a tough day. They can keep family and friends updated and informed. They can create a plan to keep um, appointment in order. Um, They can also help coordinate meal delivery, yard work, grocery shopping, and family meetings. Um, And that's the great thing about long-distance caregivers is that we thought kind of before the pandemic, oh, well, they live in another city or another country, they can't help. Um, But with Zoom calls and everything moving to an online format, it has really opened the door for our long-distance caregivers to help um, with the daily care. So I encourage you to reach out to long-distance caregivers, to have fun with them, and to give them a job, um, to have them help um, be a part of that caregiving team. And so I'm just going to take my final couple moments here, and we're going to talk about some self-care tips for managing stress. And the first one is to set aside time for yourself. Um, And this doesn't mean going to the grocery store or waiting in line to pick up a prescription as me time. I really want to encourage you as the caregiver to go for a walk, um, to play your favorite song, to dance along to that song, to watch a movie, read a book, work on your hobby. Um, Maybe your best friend lives, um, you know, on the other side um, of the United States or in another country set up um, a Zoom call, set up a phone call with them, Um, anything that you enjoy to help relieve stress and anxiety. Um, I also want you to give permission for yourself to smile, to laugh, to have fun. Um, Not that cancer isn't a serious time, but we also need to laugh and to smile um, to help us cope through this difficult um, time. Next is finding the basics, um, um, and balance in your life. Um, are you exercising? Are you walking at least 10,000 steps a day? Um, or like in quarantine, have you kind of slacked off and not been walking, um, like you were before the pandemic? Um, the quarantine and times of lockdown can make it harder for us to get motivated to get outside or to get on the treadmill. Um, but I want you to strive for at least 30 minutes a couple times a week. Um, of the other basics, um, how are you sleeping at night? Um, are you able to get um, eight hours or whatever your body requires? Um, and for me, I found one strategy for me to kind of help turn my brain off at night so that I could sleep was I had to take a break from news and media coverage for a while. Um, it was just too much, and it was, it was weighing on me, um, and I wasn't able to sleep at night. And so I want you to find strategies so that you can get um, enough sleep during the night. If your loved one requires care during the night, um, is it possible for you to have another family member um, or hire a caregiver to come in and help you so that, Um, Your loved one can have care during the night, and you can sleep, and then you can take care of them during the day. And as we're talking about the basics, what does your diet look like? Um, Unfortunately, one in ten Americans is eating um, five fruits and vegetables a day. And so we are really... um, at my institution, pushing, um, nutrition. We, we kind of took a break during it, during the quarantine and maybe went to some of our, um, comfort foods like lasagna and ice cream. And now we've got to get back. Um, it's time to get back to those, those fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And so the whole complement of nutrition, exercise and sleeping, um, make that a part of your routine. Those are our basics that we need to do for ourselves to help with stress um, during the day. And remember to keep up with your own doctor's appointments. Um, It's very easy when you're taking care of someone who requires intensive medical care to ignore your own medical needs. Um, But I want to remind you that you are just as important Um, And that you matter, and we encourage you to get those regular medical checkups, to get those recommended cancer screenings. Um, As healthcare is opening up across the world, now is the time to make that appointment um, to get in there to stay on top of your own medical needs. Some other ways to manage stress is to keep a journal or another outlet for your feelings. For some people, that's painting, it's um, writing music, um, knitting, uh, gardening, find, find that outlet for you to help process your feelings. Um, you can look into counseling. Everyone needs someone to talk to, and this is especially important when you're going through a stressful period. Um, Sometimes caregivers feel like they have to protect or shield their loved one from stress, anxiety, or worry. Um, Talking to a professional counselor, such as the um, awesome social work teams at Cancer Care, can help relieve some of the stress of caregiving. And they also have programs um, for your loved one with cancer. Um, You may want to consider joining a support group. I know that um, sometimes when I tell some of my um, cancer patients and caregivers a support group, they just roll their eyes. Um, but support groups have changed over the years. Um, they are very focused on providing the very best support for you um, in that group, whether it's an individual group, a larger group with the same type of cancer or same um, condition that you have, look into um all types of support groups. They're available sometimes um, synchronous, so um, the group all gets together at one time, or they're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week um, with asynchronous, so through posts on an online um, chat board. And um, as I'm concluding here, um, I wondered if anybody is feeling anxious or depressed. Um, Are you... um, As you, the caregiver, or your um, loved one with cancer still in a state of shock from the cancer diagnosis, we know that this can affect the caregiving experience and that you might be tempted to skip a dose of your medication or a medical appointment or picking up a prescription, um, thinking that it doesn't matter. And I want to reinforce that you both matter. You are worth fighting for, Um, and that support is here for you. Um, And all you need to do is reach out. And so there are networks like Cancer Care and the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network to support both um, caregivers and patients going through this often difficult journey. Um, today's phone conference was just one of the many resources um, available to you. And I want to remind you that you can do this. So thank you for inviting me to be on this important call today. And I will now turn it over to Dr. Messner. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Lynn. That was really outstanding, and just really covered so many different important topics that caregivers struggle with all the time, and and giving so many wonderful tips. So thank you. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q and A as well. And our next speaker is our partner organization, um, which is Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, and Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie Chisholm is the Director of Education and Research for Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, and she'll be describing for you the free programs and services of the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, BCAN, and going over their website, toll-free number, and how you can info, uh, get info from them as well. So it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Chisholm. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. It's really a pleasure to
4: kind of wrap this up a little bit. You know, one of the things that Ms. Flynn was saying, you know, it really struck me. She said something about being specific with suggestions on how others can help you because we developed a series of resources specifically focused for the caregiver. And one of the things we learned, one of our caregivers had mentioned to me in the planning stage when we were doing that was when people say, how can I help you? It puts the burden on that caregiver to come up with something. So when you have a minute and you have a chance, come up with a list of things that, boy, this would be nice if I didn't have to do the laundry or I didn't have to go grocery shopping. So those are some little things that I think you find really useful and everything that was said in the previous talks. And so I encourage everybody to visit us at bcan.org. And once you're there, you can do a search in our little search feature, and you'll see a webinar specifically focused for caregivers that is featuring caregivers. And you can download our free caregivers tips, that is available on that website as well. It was written by caregivers for caregivers. And I just want to sort of conclude by, one of my favorite sayings is one that I used to hear when we used to be able to travel before COVID, always being told on the airplane to put your own oxygen mask on first. And I think that that's really important because if a caregiver goes down, everybody goes down. And I know it's really hard, but there are great resources to help. So thank you so much, Carolyn, for inviting me. Dr. Spatek, it's always wonderful to hear you speak. And Ms. Flynn, it was a pleasure to listen to you as well. Thanks so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much, uh, Stephanie. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful organization. It is the only organization that only focuses on bladder cancer, Um, so it's a wonderful advocacy group to be connected to. And so do take, if you don't already know about the services, do take advantage of them. They're a wonderful organization. And I'm just going to say a few words about Cancer Care. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And I'm just going to talk about some of our free programs and services that we offer at Cancer Care. Now, Cancer Care is primarily staffed by oncology social workers, about 35 of them. And we have what we call a hope line where people can call an 800 number, and and really speak to one of our oncology social workers. They are in queue, waiting for your calls to come in. And we also have a website as well that you can, for those of you who prefer to go to the website and pose your question or get your support through that website as well. And the website is www.cancercare.org. And um, you'll be getting, by the way, at the end of this program, a Survey Monkey, which will include all the references we give during this program, so that um, you'll have those um, at your fingertips. And also, we'll add a few extra things that we may not have um, given you as well that might be useful to you as well to have. So, what exactly can you get from Cancer Care? Um, so, people who call our or call or, or go to our website. Um, have the chance to pose a question to one of our um, oncology social workers, a concern, a question that they may have needing support. Usually it's to get support from us around some issues. And we also offer practical finan- and financial assistance and co-payment assistance. And, at, and during these times, and we also have some COVID funds as well, and during these times, this, these funds are very important. I mean, Cancer Care has, was founded in 1944, it's been around a long time, and giving financial assistance has been part of its, um, well, providing financial assistance has been part of its. Um, history and it continues. It's a very important, particularly now. I can't think of a time that has been more needed um, and, uh, and, and, and more welcomed by people um, uh, to get these services. We're not the only organization that provides financial assistance, so that um, we also offer something called case management, which means if you call us and we don't have the service you need, we will connect you to an organization, either it be locally, or regionally, or nationally, or internationally, that offers the service that you need. And so, um, and our staff will not just give you a list of places to contact, but they will actually go with you virtually, um, make that phone call with you, um, and um, and so that you can get connected and get that that need met. And we'll stay with you until that need is met. So that's that's another important service that we offer in addition um we also provide um online uh support groups and people find those very helpful um i think as um as uh Mrs. Lynn had mentioned that some of them many of these occur um they're available twenty four hours a day people can post any time during the day or, or night um, in their particular time zones um and then Um, our social worker will actually be moderating that group during business hours, and we'll get back in terms of any need for their moderation as well. They're moderated every day, often more than once a day. Um, And um, the participants really do find those very, very helpful. And we have um, support groups, online groups for every, um, everyone you can imagine. So for caregivers, of course, you have lots of caregiver support groups, and some of them that are specific to a particular type of cancer, and some are general caregiver support groups. And we also have support groups for um, young adults who are caregivers, and older adults who are caregivers, or or middle-aged adults who are caregivers. And we also provide a number of different services online that people find very, very helpful as well. Um, And we also, of course, offer these workshops. And those workshops, are we do about 75 of them a year on many different topics. um, And they're usually posted on our website. And we usually let you know about those programs as well. And we also offer a number of publications and fact sheets. So um, you definitely have between uh, Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network and Cancer Care and all the other organizations that we'll be sending you information about that are relevant to this particular podcast who we're talking to today, um, you'll be able to get the, the resources you need. Now, before we move on to question and answers, I just have a few um questions to ask all of you at the end as we're, as we're winding down the program. We will still have a job to if you ask questions of our speakers, so stay tuned. So I'm going to start with the first question. These will just take two minutes to, to go through. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of the important role of a caregiver in communicating with the health team about a loved one living with bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident about the role of a caregiver in helping to manage a loved one's bladder cancer treatment, including adherence and follow-up care. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, As a result of what i learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in how to manage family, partners, friends, and traditions in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. Our next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in using self-care and stress management tips to cope with the stresses of caregiving for a loved one living with bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then the last question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of the important role of long-distance caregivers for a loved one living with bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for actually um, participating in these questions. It really helps us to better plan programs that best meet your needs and to understand what your needs are better. Um, So thank you all. And now um, we have time for questions, and I'm going to ask Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Um, And Michelle will explain to you how to queue
0: up for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press star, then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit, your question by clicking Ask
1: a Question. And the first question for Dr. Um, Satik um, Can you place your filial your, your carcinoma in the context of bladder cancer?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So, <clears throat> we, uh, you know, in the United States, we often use those two terms synonymously because the vast majority of bladder cancer here in the U.S. is urethelial. There are other subtypes. For example, squamous cell carcinoma, uh, sarcomatoid, adenocarcinoma. These other subtypes are much, much less frequent in the United States compared to urethelial. So urethelial is the kind of... uh, is the new term that we used to call a transitional cell, and it's a specific type of cancer that involves the urethelium, which is anything that is exposed to the urine. That means the renal pelvis up near the kidney, inside the kidney, uh, the ureter and the bladder and the urethra. So anywhere along that track can develop urethelial cell carcinoma, and uh, we often equate bladder cancer to urethelial carcinoma.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And our next question is from one of our telephone participants.
0: Um, and our question, on, our question on the phone line comes from the line of Emil S. Your line is open. Please go very, ahead.
1: Very good uh, workshop. Uh, could uh, Ms. Flynn again repeat the uh, website of the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network? And also, how do you deal with someone who is obstinate, very old, and uses you and takes advantage of your good intentions? Okay, well, thank Brian. you, you um, for that question. No, thanks. <laughs> I I'm, I'll give you the uh the um the the uh the website first ww org. And now I'm gonna let Miss Flynn answer the rest of your question.
3: Oh, great. And I, um, open this up to all, all of our team members. So, how, um, you're, you have someone who is obstinate, um, and I'm guessing they are the person, um, with cancer. Um, so thank you, Emil, for, for the question. And I think you really have to listen to that person. Um, you may have to fight through some of the, um, uh maybe the the gruffness around some of those comments um when they and, and figure out what they value um so if if they want a family um event um you know they may tell you all of the things that they don't want um and try and figure out with them what they do want, and the same thing may may be needed for their treatment. Um, there's a lot of things that they they maybe don't want to do. Okay, but what do you want to do and bring those forward to the medical team? Um. But I, I'll open it up to um, our, our other speakers if they have um, suggestions.
2: Yeah, I, I um. I think that's great. Great comments. I think one of our biggest challenges is that you know, bladder cancer. Doesn't in many cases it's not affecting the patient, right? I mean, it's almost as if they're they're telling the patient that hey, there's something wrong, but but the patient doesn't feel bad, right? So they they're not they're not hurting, they're not they're not suffering in many cases, and um, and you know we're recommending sometimes um, a, you know chemotherapy or surgery. I mean, and it's hard. It's hard to. To you know, accept that, especially when you don't feel like there's anything wrong. So I think that's one of our challenges is you know trying to to um, reveal to the patient and the family what may happen if we don't choose this course. And I do want to emphasize that the patient's wishes are, are important. And so a lot of times I'll kind of ask, "What do you want?" I mean, if, let's 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 agree that that maybe we don't want to do X, Y, or Z, but but do you want to, um, you know, have to come back repeatedly to the emergency room to handle bleeding, for example? Well, no, no, I don't want that. So this procedure or this therapy will be helpful to reduce the chances of that happening. So trying to put it into context that are addressing things that are really concerning to uh, and, and things that, that matter to them is often um, a way that we can help understand what their needs are and what their wishes are.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent question, and thank you for addressing this. Um, um, and I um a question for Dr. Um, uh My mother has bladder cancer and is vaccinated. Are there any precautions we should take?
2: Well, I think As we mentioned earlier, we should use the usual uh, CDC precautions. Um, uh, You know, minimizing contact, especially hand um, shaking, hands and hugs and things like that. We want to be careful. We want to use. You know, wash our hands. We want to wear masks. We want to avoid closed uh, public uh, places. Um, And and and, you know, uh, you know, events or. Um, situations where you're in close contact. Um, The other thing I would say is um, um, in in people that are getting vaccinated, let's say they're anticipating a vaccine, often we won't give a therapy on the same day as the vaccine. So we might want to hold therapy by at least 48 hours to make sure that we can monitor the patient for any uh, vaccine-related fever and to, to kind of separate that from any treatment related toxicity.
1: Excellent. thank you. Um and then um a question for um uh for Miss Flynn. Um, so I've been very stressed out caring for my for my dad. Um are there any exercises we could do together to help with our stress?
3: Oh, great question. There absolutely are. Um, If you're stressed, I'm I'm guessing that your dad might be stressed too. And so um – a simple one that I I really like to do is just take a couple of really deep breaths. Um just think of a think of a place, uh, a favorite place of yours, close your eyes and just move in and out. Um and then have a conversation about um what are the top 3 stresses that um are are affecting um your daily life. And so um, is it the number of appointments? Is it um, maybe you're a, a dual caregiver for both younger children and your father? Maybe it's money. Whatever those um, top stressors are, having that conversation about how can we reduce them. Um, maybe it's physical care and that um, you need to um, bring in some respite care. Um, or maybe you need. Um, sometimes I know I have um, difficulty even managing uh, the top three list. It's everything is stressing me out right now. Um, And so then it might be, you know, taking a walk, trying to clear my head to think, okay, what can I focus on to have that conversation? Um, And if it's still everything is stressing me out, I think that would be a great time to turn to um, a counseling service to help um, figure out what those top stressors might be and then how, um, how to kind of attack those to eliminate them or at least reduce the stress associated with them. So if it is um, I'm having trouble um, working full-time and taking my father to his medical appointments um, and maybe I'm also managing childcare care issues, um, that's stressing me out. I'm trying to be a good parent, a good daughter. Um, and a good person at work, but I, I'm having trouble managing all of those. Um, that would be a great time to, to ask for help. Um, how can, um, is there a neighbor or a friend um, or another family member that could take my dad to maybe half of his appointments and I can take the other half? Um, maybe the same thing with carpooling for childcare or, um, you know, trying to work, work through how, um, To get some help for yourself um, and for your family and so I would really um, start with what maybe it's the top one thing that is really stressing both you and your dad out Um, they might be the same thing or they might be a different thing and then having that conversation um, about why it's so stressful and then seeking out different resources not only counseling services um but maybe um there are religious services or meals on wheels groups that could bring meals into the home to help reduce um and address whatever um those top stressors are thank you excellent great excellent questions. thank you Yeah, it's really been um, a remarkable
1: call, I have to say. Um, Wonderful speakers and and really wonderful questions, actually, from our participants, really. Um, And um, I know we could go on for at least another hour or an hour and a half because there are a lot more questions in queue. So I want to address that now. But I want to thank our speakers and I want to thank our participants, really, for just um, really uh, making this call so very special today. So I want to first address all of those who haven't had a chance to ask a question. Or I'm, I'm going to start with those those of you who asked a question, those of you who have a question yet to be asked, and those of you who thought of a question during the program or another question that you'd like to ask. Um, we ask you to go back to your treating healthcare team. We never want to sidestep your healthcare team. They, of course, know the most about you. And so start with them. Remember, your healthcare team consists of the medical personnel on your healthcare team, but also consists of also um nurse our nurse practitioners um oncology nurses um oncology social workers uh, financial experts, a range of other people that you may not always see, and yet if you bring it to your medical health team, they will then refer you to people within your own institution who actually could be of great help to you. So that's something to be aware of as well. There are enormous resources in each of your institutions, and sometimes you just don't know about them because you don't realize that they, could, they often have services for you that could be very useful to you. Um, and in addition to that, uh, we know that you all like to go other places to look for information. So we do, we, today we partner with the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network because that's a great go to place with um, getting additional information from a credible resource where all the information is kept up to date, most very much up to date, who do. Um, programs that would be wonderful for you to participate in and learn from. And indeed, um, so that's a great resource for you. And of course, for those of you who want to take advantage of any of the services of cancer care, um, those are also available to you. So those are some go-to places for you. And we will, at the end of today's program, um, you'll all get a survey monkey evaluation, but it'll it'll be the valuation. We definitely appreciate your filling that out. But that evaluation will, evaluation will also include additional resources for anything we mentioned during the program is um, that you don't have to kind of worry that you did not get thought that information. You're going to get it um, in the Survey Monkey as well. Um, so um again, I I also want to acknowledge that this has been a very difficult year, year and a half that people have been dealing with COVID. And I think that um, I think that many people feel very much alone in, in coping with everything. And although, depending on where you live and regionally in different parts of the country, of course, there are some uh, things are opening up a bit. The vaccine has made a difference. Um, and we do encourage, of course, people to really, um, if you haven't gotten the vaccine, to, the COVID vaccine, to consider getting it and to talk to your healthcare team about it, the importance of getting it. But nevertheless, it's normal to feel alone. So in those moments when you feel alone, know that you have places you can call. Um, you can call your healthcare team and also find out from the healthcare team when are they, are they how you can reach them evenings and weekends and holidays. Because those seem to be the time when everybody has an issue that really is very important to call. Um, there are some call centers that are open twenty four hours a day they're not your healthcare team, of course, and we will provide that information for you as well just because it's important that you have um, call centers that are specific to your needs that are open during business hours and also those that are open twenty four hours a day. But your healthcare team pretty much find out their numbers and what you should do if something should come up um, you know evenings, weekends, and holidays um, and then the other thing um, is important that Although you may feel alone, just know that you are connected to a very large support network of organizations um, that can assist you. in addition to your own support network, and be aware. And even if you feel like you don't have a support network, you now have one just being on the call today. So I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.